Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same king prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for your company on Press Room's February 26 edition. Plenty coming up. Ben Dorries waiting in the wings. Of course, we'll chat with Mitch Cohen. He's back with us after a break. We'll have a chat with Chris Barsby this morning because there's a lot coming up in harness racing, particularly on the Sydney front. We've got the Chariots of Fire this weekend at Menangalum and, of course, in a fortnight's time or just under a fortnight, the Miracle Mile. A lot to discuss with Chris in terms of harness racing. And, of course, we'll chat with Ben Scadden and Colin McNiff. As I said, thanks for your company. And you know uh, the drill. You can tweet me at Radio Tab Oz if you've got a comment. Whether you agree or disagree, you might have some news. You might have some views, and I'm happy to hear from you. But also you can uh, uh, text me at 499 punter. That's 499 The podcast, we tweet the link out each week on Radio Tab Oz. Or, of course, you can spot it or you can search under Radio Tab at Spotify. Press Room, each and every Monday, it's brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, it must be something to do with the clocks at Racing Queensland. Many were gobsmacked when the Inter Dominion was scheduled to be run at 6.30 in the afternoon. That's an hour later in the Daylight Saving States. It's all about the turnover was the catch cry. Well, I think I can say with some confidence that turnover bounce they hoped for with the starting time didn't eventuate. Now we go to a similar situation, but at the other end of the scale, these late finishes for South East Queensland thoroughbred meetings. Similar because the negative sentiment is almost universal and similar because the primary reason given for these late finishes is, yep, you guessed it, turnover. These were the last race times last week. Ipswich 5.45, Kilcoy 5.49. We'll throw in Central Queensland Mackay 5.49, Dubin 5.50 and Sunshine Coast was 6.18 but that never eventuated yesterday. We'll talk more about that with Ben. There's a basic question here that deserves an answer. Is it fair to participants who A, put on the show and B, begin their work at 3 and 4 in the morning to have to wait so late for the last race? And that's excluding the trip home. Question two, if this is so essential for turnover and ultimately revenue, why not explain it to the participants with some real figures so they can firstly have a better appreciation of why it's so essential And secondly, what are they getting out of it? One would hope the figures match up to the assertions made. Look, we go back to nine race cards and earlier finishes in April. But before you know it, October will be around the corner and you can bet a short quote. We'll be back to near six o'clock finishes. I understand the 10 races is an attempt to counter the wagering downturn. But are the scales of revenue versus participant welfare tipping one way too far? I'll have more on this next week. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Ben Dorries, first up, as always, here on Press Room. Ben, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David. This issue of these late finishes uh, is not something that's just just cropped up overnight. It's been <coughs> lurking there now for, for some time. Look, and to, to put it bluntly, I understand the reasoning of the controlling body. So I think the more important factor out of this, which I did mention then, 
is not just to say to a, a trainer or a, even a stable head or a jockey, oh, look, it's, it's all about turnover. It, it's, it's, we need later finishes. Actually put some numbers on the table so they can understand why it's better for turnover. I just think sometimes that, you know, administrators should bring the participants in the tent, you know, and just say, here's what it is, and let them appreciate it and understand it. Is that a fair call? Yeah, I think so, totally, David. And, look, it's all intermeshed, I suppose, the issue too, isn't it? I mean, these 10 race cards give me the heebie-jeebies, to be honest. I mean, I know they're only a, a trial, and as you said, you know, in April... We'll go back to nine races on a Saturday. But, but I mean, even the Metro races on a Saturday, like we lost one a few weeks ago. I can't remember whether it was at Dooman or Eagle Farm. But, you know, instead of having 10, I think the two-year-old race was, was quashed. So there was nine races, but we still started at almost 1 p.m. I think the first race was at 12.51 or, or something along those lines, which, quite frankly, was ludicrous, really. I, I mean, I just didn't understand the point of it. So, look, I, I take your point. I, I don't. The one thing I would say is I don't mind... Clearly, wagering revenue and wagering turnover is a massive in issue in the industry at the moment. It's flatlined in a lot of places. It's gone down in others. So, look, I don't mind administrators trying things, trying new things, later finishes, etc. But if if they're sort of not working, if it's going nowhere, well, well, then abandon them. But but B to your point, you know, take the participants along on the journey a bit with you and explain why you're doing things. So I think you enunciated it very well. It's probably not much, much more I can add, really. I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, you mentioned about that nine races at Eagle Farm, it was. But we had this, you described that as ludicrous. Well, this is ludicrous times 10. We had six races at Ipswich on Wednesday, six races. The first race was 10 to 3. I mean, really? So we could still have this 10 to 6 finish? I mean, honestly. Uh, and that's that's an extreme situation, but it happened. It happened last Wednesday. But yeah, I just think that that, that rather than just um, give lip service, that a bit more detail would certainly be appreciated by those who, as I said, are putting on the show. Look, we had the issue last week, uh, which was then fully explained by um, Racing Queens out of the Gold Coast Club. A little behind with with the uh, the coming back to the, the course proper, so we're not running there this Saturday, but we're going to be spot on for Jewel Day, March 9. But yesterday was the Sunshine Coast in focus where... And look, I think full credit to the Sunshine Coast, it's um, uh, a great operator for, for Queensland Racing. It runs a lot of meetings, whether it be Sundays or Friday twilights or Friday night meetings. And we generally don't miss a meeting there or don't lose a meeting. Uh, heavy 8 was the, the rating yesterday morning. Changed to Heavy 9 before they jumped to the first or before the first... But then uh, jockeys and stewards met after the first. They agreed to proceed with the second. They ran the second, but then no dice. Meeting over, and so much so, uh, the consequence, and there is a consequence out of this, that this Friday night's meeting and Sunday will be run on the poly track. Yeah, look, this was a weird-ass situation, David. I don't, <clears throat> I don't necessarily think this is any fault of the, the club. Uh, I mean, they just presented the track uh, sort of as it was. But, I mean, clearly the track was rated wrongly um, by the stewards and, and, and officials there because from those I talked to, it was more like a heavy 16 right from the start than, than a heavy 8. But, look, it was... I've got to say there were some pretty embarrassing scenes. I mean, I, I wasn't there, but I'm told from, from those who were that horses were actually in the enclosure for, for race three, like literally in the enclosure, but yet all, all the jockeys were, were dressed, you know, ready to go home. So, look, <laughs> that's sort of just bizarro world, that is. So, I mean, clearly there was there was an issue there with, um, 
you know, the way the track was rating, and I, I, I guess some clarity, some earlier clarity. I mean, this probably feeds into discussion as well about some of these country meetings. And thankfully, I don't think we've had one for a while, but certainly last year, there were some meetings out in the country that uh, participants had to drive a, an awful long way with it, with their horses and jockeys had to drive a long way only to turn up and find, you know, the meeting was off. And, and all signs were that the meeting was always going to be off, but there just wasn't sort of enough lead time given. So... Look, I must say, I wasn't there, so I sort of can't comment on the specifics of it. Um, but, yeah, look, I had quite a few trainers ring me who were, you know, sort of quite dismayed. And, look, um, polytrack racing, you know, is a evil essential, I guess. But we're in a funny old situation, aren't we? In Queensland this week, we've got on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, polytrack meetings. I don't think that would have ever happened ever in Queensland, would it, that we've had three days in a row with polytrack meetings. Obviously, yeah. the Sunshine Coast on Friday, Gold Coast on Saturday, and Sunshine Coast on Sunday. So, look, I mean, look, some of this is, yeah, it's in the lap of the gods, obviously, the weather. We can't do anything about the weather. And let's face it, it has rained cats and dogs in southeast Queensland for much of summer. So, no, and the Sunshine Coast, I've got to say, is just about my favourite track in Queensland. I love it. It's a fair track. It races well. I love the crew up there. So, I'm sure they've done their level best. Um, to, to you know, to get it ready for yesterday's meeting and the, and, the, and the week ahead. So this is no knock on them, but um, I guess more a knock on, on on the sort of yeah, I suppose lack of urgency with these track ratings and and getting clarity out there to participants. Yeah, I think that the word I was trying to find before, which I couldn't, but I can now. The Sunshine Coast is a great servant for for Queensland racing with the amount of meetings it runs, and uh, it's it's I think universally considered one of the the, the better tracks in Queensland but you're right we've had a tremendous amount of rain but then times that by five around that sunshine coast here where it always seems to rain more there than it does in any other parts of southeast Queensland so I think a, a combination of factors have resulted in what happened yesterday which is unfortunate it's never good to lose a meeting certainly when the meeting's in progress and people have made their way there but the consequence is it's polytrack racing this Friday and on Sunday and of course as you said Gold Coast this Saturday. You know, yesterday we spoke to Ben Hayes about um, Mr. Brightside uh, winning his sixth Group 1 race and uh, he's going outstandingly. He's got the All-Star Mile coming up next month and then potentially the Australian Cup and also the Queen Elizabeth. But I posed the question to, to Ben about comparisons within the Hayes dynasty and I thought the most logical one was better loosen up and we had a chat about that. But I thought I'd pose the question to someone who I knew would relish the task when I posed the question to him. It was Bruce McAvaney. I sent Bruce a, a text yesterday saying, is the comparison right now between Mr. Brightside and Better Loosen Up legitimate? And he came back in typical Bruce fashion, yes, and then listed a, 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 a series of similarities, and then he made his conclusion of where they sit at the moment. Now... You're a good judge. I've always said that. What do you reckon Bruce said at the end in the wash-up? Who's better than who at the moment? What do you reckon? Oh, well, I reckon he would have said uh, better loosen up. He's still probably a half length to a, to a length in front, but I reckon he probably would have said that Mr Brightside is rapidly closing the gap given that, you know, arguably, he's, he's, you know, is he at the peak of his career? Is he, is he about to reach it? Is he going to reach it next year? Who knows? So, look, I, I'd still... I don't know, um, but I'd imagine Bruce still would have had the great better loosen up ahead, but certainly with the gap closing. Now, I'm going to do something for you, David Fowler, this week. I'm going to ring, because this is a fascinating debate, uh, and it's really interesting, I, I reckon. I'm going to ring David Hayes in Hong Kong, 
and I'm going to put this question to him because obviously he trained better loosen up right at the start of his uh, training career um, and his boys, you know, he started off with Mr Brightside, his, his boys obviously are training Mr Brightside now so there's no better person in the entire world even including the great Bruce McAvaney to answer this question so I'm, I'm going to ring David Hayes in the next couple of days and I'm going to do a story on this for RaceNet and we can uh, circle back next week and I'll be able to tell you what David thinks and uh, I reckon... Um, I reckon he would have them almost neck and neck. I reckon he loves his boys so much uh, and he reckons they're doing such a great job. I reckon he'll want to pump them up. He'll want to pump this horse up. So my guess is you'll say Mr Brightside is getting very, very close to the great better loosen up. And on the matter of you being a good judge, you've just confirmed it. Bruce did say at this stage better loosen up has a length on Mr Brightside, but the gap is closing. As he pointed out with better loosen up, there were three... Big time wins. Uh, he won eight Group One races, but he, he described the Australian Cup as the most breathtaking, the Japan Cup as the most historical, and of course the one for the for the Australian uh, putters winning the Cox Plate. But you, you mentioned before that basically David's career as a trainer in his own right, Better Loosen Up was one of the uh, the, the first ones there, the, the the big headline horses for him, and as is the similarity with with uh, the, uh, his sons. With Mr. Brightside, but but Bruce said the, these similarities, and it is quite uncanny when you start to really think about it. Their style of racing, their consistency, their improvement from season to season. They race over similar distances. They have the same determination, similar connections. They're the same colour. They wear the same colours: the uh, Colin Hayes colours, white, green sash, black sleeves, and they both started with other trainers. So there's a host of similarities there. And ability-wise, I think most would agree that uh, as time goes on, uh, that that whilst Ben Blusen up holds the mantle, Mr. Brightside is is right is right behind him. A couple of quick yeah, things. And look, and look, just one quick thing I will say too. I'll ask David when I talk to him. I mean, the the one big thing that better loosen up Scott is is obviously that that victory on the international stage. I mean, mm. look, David's training in Hong Kong. Would he like to see Mr. Brightside go to Hong Kong and, and take on the world or, or, or somewhere else for that matter? So, look, that'll be an intriguing discussion. I'll, I'll report back to you, Mr. Fowler, next week. You had a good good chat with Lee Everson last week regarding Without a Fight. Yeah, so Lee, Lee Everson is the sort of... You know, he's a renowned sort of healer of horses, basically. That's, uh, he's a former trotting trainer, but he's healed thousands of horses back to health, mainly sort of tendon injuries. And... I just sort of thought I'll call him because I know without a fight's been uh, at his property in Victoria and find out how the, the Melbourne and Caulfield Cup champion is going. And he said, well, he said, you're running at a good time. He actually left my property yesterday. Uh, this was early last week. Uh, he said, phase one of the rehab completed. Everything on track. The, the horse is scanned clear. Uh, he goes now for a spell. Uh, that's part of the rehab process as well. But very encouraging signs, I've got to say, for, for without a fight, according to Lee Everson. He sees absolutely no reason um, that he wouldn't be back racing in spring. And importantly, I said, look, will we see him return to his brilliant best? And that's a loaded question because, look, you simply don't know, do you? But he said, look, he said with these injuries, uh, when, they're, when they're back to full health and, and everything's healed, the muscle, you know, the, the fibres have healed, the tendon fibres, uh, he, yeah, he said they don't lose their ability. So he expects all going well, and there still is a little bit of water to go under the bridge, but he expects without a fight to be back to his brilliant best uh, in spring. So I think he's $13 equal favourite for the Melbourne Cup at the moment and $13 uh, outright favourite for the Caulfield Cup. So we can't wait to see him back, David. 
And just before you go, Mike Hurst stood down or, or announced his uh, retirement from the Racing Victoria board last week. Was that a, a shock or a surprise? No, it wasn't a shock or a surprise, or a surprise at all. Uh, he was acting chairman. He was expected to announce his resignation. But what it is, it could be the first in a series of dominoes, David. Uh, it could see some key figures uh, at the Racing Victoria board uh, depart. And a guy by the name, I think we've mentioned him by a few, uh, on a few occasions on this show, Gil McLaughlin, very much in the frame uh, to be the new Racing Victoria chairman, if he wants the job, of course, which is still a little unknown. He's certainly been in discussions. But, look, if I was a betting man, which I am, I'd have some money that Gil McLaughlin would be the next chairman of Racing Victoria, which, as we foreshadowed on this show before, uh, could lead to a bit of a cooling of the interstate cold war between Racing New South Wales and Racing Victoria because Peter Volandis likes Gil McLaughlin and he doesn't like any Victorian. So that's a good start. Good to chat. We'll talk soon. Thanks, David. Ben Norrie's joining us, as he does each and every Monday on Press Room. Let's welcome back Mitch Cohen. Off a break, back uh, on the grind. Morning, Mitch. Morning, mate. Yeah, first up from a spell, but a good time to be back, that's for sure. And a good time to be at Rose Hill this Saturday. We've got uh, six black type races, but for the first time in Sydney, the Group 1s, we've got the Surround and the Very Elegant, the Tab Very Elegant. But there's going to be a hell of a lot of interest in the skyline. We see the Golden Slipper favourite, Storm Boy, uh, make his appearance. He'll run there, and then, then he will proceed directly to the Slipper. Mitch, I think it's fair to say at the moment, as we're watching these two-year-old races, like we saw the, the Silver Slipper on Saturday at, at Rose Hill, we saw the... Blue Diamond at Caulfield. Storm Boy has become such a firm benchmark. That's that's evidenced by his position in the market for the slipper, 280. But everything's being judged around Storm Boy. Like we watch those races. Oh, would he be able to beat Storm Boy? Would he challenge Storm Boy? Can she challenge Storm Boy? He's really made a strong presence, hasn't he, after that, that Magic Millions win? And rightly so, obviously. It's, it's interesting because a lot of these top two-year-olds in the market haven't clashed yet um, throughout the autumn campaign or building into the autumn. Obviously, Storm Boy was prepared for his first grand final in that Magic Millions and won it so brilliantly in, in time that, uh, well, really shattered the clock and, and one of the best Magic Millions winners we've seen. So he's obviously brilliant, but we've seen, obviously, Switzerland put his hand up in the last couple of weeks as probably the main challenger. Now, they haven't met yet. They won't meet... Um, well, probably until the slipper. Now, Storm Boy obviously lining up this weekend in the skyline with his stablemate Cross, who was a, a tough winner of that Canterbury Stakes. We've seen Gay and Adrian win so many of these two-year-old races. I was speaking to a couple of colleagues on the weekend. It's, it was, it's almost as if we could copy and paste stories at the moment of these t- Saturday two-year-old races because it's, it's just Gay and Adrian, Gay and Adrian, Gay and Adrian, obviously, with the exception of Switzerland, who was brilliant the other day. But he is the benchmark he deserves to be. The plan has always been, well, since January, uh, a few days after he won that Magic Moons, to go through this skyline. They haven't deviated from that plan. They thought for three weeks into the Magic Moons, it was a successful formula, so why not run the same formula for this golden slipper as he steps up through that size and, and champagne stakes still. We know we've got the slipper on the agenda, but he's... He's also favourite for the other two races, uh, two-year-old Triple Crown races 
during the autumn. So he is the clear benchmark, and I think you have to say he deserves to be. James McDonald jumped on him uh, about a week and a half ago now for the first time. He's got the ride now. That trial, it is only a trial. We can get carried away, but we've seen him do it on the track. So I think seeing him do it so well in that trial, there's a bit more... There's a bit more to it. You can take a bit more from it that he hasn't taken a backward step. He obviously won that trial by six lengths. So, look, expecting a very good showing. Obviously, the uh, the nominations will be out this morning. Um, the early all-in markets will be out. I'm tipping he might be pretty, pretty short in those all-in markets because I think he's going to scare a few off in this skyline on the weekend. Yeah, and you sort of think, sitting there at 280 at the moment on tab fixed for the slipper, which is on the 23rd of March, if you're, if you're a real Storm Boy fan, you might be inclined to take that because if a victory is expected in the skyline, he's certainly going to shorten up after that win. So it's interesting. And, and you talk about Waterhouse and Bob. We discussed it uh, extensively um, over the last couple of months. But I think the market reflects what we've been saying. The top nine in betting, the top nine... Waterhouse and Bot train seven of them. The only two in that top nine that are in their yard, of course, is Switzerland, which we discussed, and the Blue Diamond winner, Hayasugi, who Clint McDonald said will go to the slipper. So their their domination uh, has been has been quite extraordinary. Um, of course, on Saturday, two Group 1s, the surround. We'll see Kamachi and Learning to Fly clash, clash again and Fangirl. Well, she's a dollar fifty for the Very Elegant. And she should be off that first up performance, you'd have to say. She was just excellent in that first up win last uh, in the Apollo fangirl. She will be there. Chris is planning on having a couple of runners. I think he's going to nominate the likes of Buckaroo, a tissue, but uh, potentially going to Melbourne. So he'll have a few candidates there, but she's the clear horse to beat. She's This campaign fangirl, she, she could announce herself as probably the main challenger to, to Mr Brightside, I think, is that top middle distance horse in Australia. She was obviously so unlucky in the Cox Plate last spring. Has come back as good as ever. She's just a complete product now, isn't she? She loomed up, dare I say it, a bit like Winks in that first up assignment. But obviously we, we can't compare to the great mare, but she certainly looked like it uh, coming down the straight there. So she'll be a deserved favourite. I think the surround stakes is um, a fascinating race, really. The only 1,400 metre fillies group one in Australia. So... Uh, for three-year-old fillies, that is. So uh, you, you generally get the best crop of three-year-old fillies uh, going around at that time. I think Kamochi uh, looks like a decent bet for mine. I spoke to Gary Portelli on Saturday, and he thought, after just speaking to him after NCAP, unfortunately, had to go three wide and ran 14.50 in that Hobartville. He said, if Kamochi can draw a gate on Saturday, I think she just wins. Fair enough. Um, we spoke with Les Bridge on our Past the Post program yesterday on Radio Tab. He's 85, Les, but uh, it's great that he's still going strong and it's great that he's got a horse that, that he thinks as well is a very good horse by his own admission, Celestia Legend, who we saw win the Hobartville. For sure, and it's not often that Les makes it to the races as much as he used to these days. As you said, he is 85, but when he does, it's probably a pretty good sign that he's got a, a good horse on his hands. And this horse, I think he's a very good horse, Celestial Ledgers. He's always had a little bit of a rap on him, but it's just taken a bit of time for us to see it at the races. Now, Tom Kitten was obviously, uh, well, many picks for that race on the weekend and, and rightly so off, off what he did during the spring. But I think if uh, if you're looking for a 1,400-metre horse, a miler, this fellow fits the bill. Uh, he was just dominant, really, in the end. He, he was finishing better than anything. His last 200 and last 400 were the fastest 
of the race. Now, Les won this race, the Hobart Bill, 40 years ago with Sir Dapper. So 40 years later, he's got a very good horse on his hands, a Bon Ho, who, of course, he had classic legend with winning an Everest not so long ago. But uh, good to see Les have a good horse. And I think he might be pretty good. He's going to be uh, now second favourite for that Randwick Guineas. Militarised, obviously, the favourite. Chris has taken a, a different path with him. He hasn't clutched with the, the three-year-olds there, but he, he was excellent first up as well. So Militarised, uh, Celestial Legend, and, of course, Tom Kitten. It looks like a, a pretty absorbing clash in the Randwick Guineas coming up in, in a week and a half's time. Well, when you come off air soon, you'll be turning your attention to the, the Warwick Farm trials because think about it's not too far away. Marzu will be trialling as well, so we'll report on that later. But just before you go on a, a broader issue, and this was transpiring while you were away, um, there were going to be some information, further information sessions regarding the potential sale of Rose Hill for housing. There's a memorandum of understanding between the Australian Turf Club and the Minns Labor State Government. But interestingly... Uh, those information sessions scheduled for this week have been cancelled. Do we read anything into that? I think you can read into, I guess, basically the first two information sessions. I wouldn't say it was a surprise that they went how they went. I think the ATC would have been going in there with the knowledge that they were going to get a fair bit of blowback. Now, they got a lot of blowback off some prominent figures, obviously the likes of Gay Waterhouse, came out swinging and as did Chris Waller um, two of the biggest names in Australian racing um, a lot of questions that needed to be answered that uh, a few feel like they weren't so the ATC have decided to postpone these meetings they will be rescheduled in a few weeks time there's a bit of a reset to get more information uh, so they can best answer these questions obviously that was the big thing when this was announced it was people asking but how will this work? They want questions answered, and, and it seems not all those questions can be answered to the full capacity yet. I think, um, look, the blowback wasn't surprising, was it? I no. think the, these meetings were always going to go a certain way uh, with with a lot of frustrated participants. And um, I think uh, we, we knew this was going to be a, a back and forth from the moment it happened. I know, speaking to you when it first happened, you were unsure if it would ever happen. Uh, there's still plenty in that boat. I think um, that you've got to keep the door ajar. I think uh, there there is still a big chance to happen. Obviously, the Minns government is on side uh, for for this to happen, which is a, a pretty important thing when you when you're making these sort of moves and closing Rose Hill and selling Rose Hill is a very significant move. So, look, I think uh, in terms of reading into it, it is just a reset. There will be more meetings, but I'd imagine those meetings when they're rescheduled will probably have a similar similar result. Some frustrated participants and, and the ATC being asked to answer plenty of questions. Good to talk, Mitch. Good to have you back, and we'll chat again next Monday. Cheers, mate. There is Mitch Carter from the Daily Telegraph. Of course, I mentioned the two Group 1s on Saturday in Sydney. Of course, Group 1 racing at Flemington in Melbourne as well with the Australian Guineas and Riff Rocket off that back of that dynamic first up win of the C.S. Hayes is the 280 favourite. Chris Barsby's about to join me, but just before he does, you'll recall last Monday I had grave concerns on the future of the Cairns Amateurs, the two-day racing and social carnival, which began way back in 1959. And so it was confirmed to press room since that the Far North Queensland Amateur Turf Club, the brainchild of Sir Sid Williams and Les Gallagher, is no longer. The committee basically gave up, handed in the licence. The club no longer exists.
It had five presidents uh, with Sir Sid Williams, Alan McPherson, Michael Delaney, Ross Muller and the most recent David Goodman. Williams would turn in his grave if he knew how things had come to pass, largely due to a committee who, well, I suppose it's fair to say, preferred to lean and not lift, Mark Quinn being a notable exception. But so ends a wonderful chapter in Queensland racing, but to Racing Queensland's credit, a reset of sorts is currently in place. So whilst the club that hosted the amateurs is no longer, it's gone, just a footnote in history, the Cairns amateur brand is not lost. So an interim group will be appointed this week, to start cracking on a Mark II Cairns Amateurs under the Cairns Jockey Club licence. I'm pleased that uh, the former patron of the Amateur Club, Bart Sinclair, will be one of those names announced. And important decisions are going to be made by this body and they, and they need to be made with haste. Does it remain a two-day carnival? Does it remain in September? Currently, nothing is set in stone. Everything's in the melting pot. So let's hope for a positive outcome and a positive outcome to be announced sooner than later. Chris Barsby is on the line now. Chris, good morning. David, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. I mentioned at the top of the show that we were going to have a chat. Um, since the Inter-Dominion at Albion Park in December, Leap to Fabe has been the, the headline horse for harness racing nationally, of course. He won the Hunter Cup. He's won the Cranman Cup. He won the Newcastle Mile on Friday night, running 151.9. So he proceeds to the... Miracle Mile in a fortnight, but by gee, yesterday I was doing a bit of research on these horses in the Chariots of Fire, the, the four-year-old feature at Menangle this weekend. This is going to be one hell of a race. There's no doubt about that, David. And what I find interesting, and I posed this question to Grant Dixon just recently, all of a sudden, with the absolute dominance of Leap to Fame, we move from what's likely to challenge him as an older horse, and there's nothing there. Mm. Swayze's gone amiss, there's issues there, he won't be seen for some time. There's nothing around as far as five-year-old or older that can challenge Leap to Fame. So all of a sudden, the focus is now switching to the four-year-old. So a year younger than what Leap to Fame is, we know he's a five-year-old stallion, but given his dominance just in the last six months where he's really dominating the grand circuit... The focus now switches to the four-year-olds. Last year, we thought it was a stellar crop, the Leap to Fame crop. It featured Catch a Wave, uh, Captain Ravishing, Akuta Rover in New Zealand. But this four-year-old crop, it looks something else. This Chariots of Fire on Saturday night is going to be outstanding. And it's headlined by the Kiwis, Don't Stop Dreaming and Merlin. But then you can throw in the likes of Frankie Ferocious, the Queensland-owned pacer. That's unbeaten for Jason Grimson. Two starts, two victories. And then there's Better Be the Best and Captain's Knock. All of those horses won't be out of place in the Miracle Mile. However, not all of those horses are going to gain starts in the Miracle Mile. Just scanning the recent history of the Miracle Mile, three four-year-olds back in 2019, Spankham, Poster Boy, Chase Auckland. In that year, they were first, third and fourth. In 2017, it was Lazarus, Waikiki Beach and Salty Robin, third, fourth and eighth. So it looks likely... There's probably going to be maybe three four-year-olds that could gain a start in this year's Miracle Mile, but they look the most obvious threat to leap to fame because, as I said, he's got everything else covered. So this is going to be a really good race. This current crop of four-year-olds is super exciting. Headlined by the Kiwis. The barrier draw will be conducted today, so currently the market's not up there, but yesterday the, the, the market was there, and don't stop dreaming. And Frankie, Frankie Ferocious, were each at 250 
I think it's Merlin's, it's its Australian name, but Merlin's at four sixty, and sooner the better at nine dollars. With better be the best at ten. What I think is exciting about this race on Saturday night is all of these horses are very much in form. They're all very, very, very good. They're all very fast as well. So uh, I think it's going to be a spectacular contest. And uh, as you say, um, this brigade almost of, of rookies uh, coming up against the established star leap to fame and he's a dollar ninety in the miracle mile uh no surprises at newcastle push forward uh, the respect he's got now they, they handed up and took the lead to him and he proceeded to win yeah, it was clinical on Friday night. Probably robbed of a little interest with the early break of Hot and Treacherous because he looks like, uh, well, he was certainly going to make a raise of it with Leap to Fame before he went off stride there at the start. But thereafter, once he was in front, he completely controlled that race, dominated 51-9. It was a, a wet and windy night there at Newcastle on Friday night. So I wouldn't read too much into the time. You look at the history of the Newcastle Mile, only two horses have done the double, the Newcastle Mile, Miracle Mile in the same year. Westburn granted it back in uh, 1990. The most recent was Bowtie. That was in 2013. So he's looking to become just the third horse to do the double, the Newcastle Miracle Mile double in the same year. But... You know, I know there's a school of thought thinking it's a mild race, it's completely different. Lazarus, who's one of the, the modern-day greats, he never won a miracle mile. And we know the greatest champion of all time, Blacks of Fake, never won a miracle mile. So, you know, there's that school of thought that maybe the mile could be his Achilles heel. But then you've only got to look back at what he did in the Sunshine Sprint last year in July against open-class horses at Albion Park. They tried their best to beat him, and he just showed this different dimension to his racing uh, repertoire where he was just able to sail down the outside. He's the horse to beat. There's no question for the Miracle Mile. What's interesting, you talk about this Saturday night's Chariots of Fire, when you look at the tab market, you've got Don't Stop Dreaming, you've got Frankie Ferocious, there's Merlin, there's Better Be The Best. They're all in in the market for the Miracle Mile and they're considered to be some of his biggest threats. So that probably just underlines the point I made earlier that the four-year-olds all of a sudden look to be, uh, the, you know, the potential threats now to leap to fame because of what we've seen with the uh, the older horses, he's clearly got them covered. So the, the good thing about leap to fame, and this is the reason why they deliberately went to Newcastle, he gets two weeks between runs. So they've changed the the the, uh, the shape of the carnival down in Sydney this year compared to previous years. Normally there was a good couple of weeks between the chariots to the Miracle Mile. And when you look at the history of the race in recent times, it was starting to favour the four-year-olds. They were, they were featuring quite regularly and prominently. So all of a sudden they've made changes. Harness Racing New South Wales Club Menangle. So the Chariots of Fire is now being staged on the same night as the qualifying heat, so we've got the Cordina Sprint, the Allied Express heat that are going to take place on Saturday night as well. And then they've all got to back up a week later. So they're going to go brilliant time this Saturday night in all three of those races, the two sprint qualifiers plus the, uh, the, the Chariots of Fire, and then they've got to back up. Leap to Fame's back home in his Brisbane stable. Mm. He came straight home after Friday night, resting up in his normal routine, in his normal environment. So he'll just go down when it's uh, required uh, for the retention facility before the Miracle Mile, and uh, it's going to take a good one to beat him. Yeah, exactly right. So, folks, don't miss this race on Saturday night. It's going to be a ripper, as will be the Miracle Mile the following Saturday. We were talking earlier about uh, comparisons of 
uh, Mr. Brightside, who I think is, is currently Australia's best racehorse, with uh, horses that, that in the Hayes Dynasty or the Hayes Clan, and better loosen up was one that was the most obvious comparison. I just thought out of interest yesterday, I was looking at Leap to Fame and Blacks of Fate, because I think we've discussed this in the past, a, a comparison, which, um, you know, is, is, is um, you know, interesting to talk about. Blacks of Fake had 103 starts, and he won 72 of those. He raced to a 10-year-old. Leap to Fame's had 44 starts for 34 wins, so Leap to Fame's still only five years of age. So he's got, got a lot of catching up to do in terms of overall starts and overall wins, but he's still got five years ahead of him if they choose to to uh, to go down that path. But uh, he, he's, he's a... A champion Blacks of Fake, but by gee, Leap to Fame uh, is certainly making inroads. Would you classify Leap to Fame as a champion now, given that he's won uh, the Inter Dominion, he's won the Hunter Cup? If he comes out and wins the Miracle Mile, does that mm. consolidate his champion status, or does he have to win the Miracle Mile to have that champion status? I think um, it, it, it's how you personally rate the word champion, and, and I. As you know, I mark hard in everything. So for me, it, it takes a lot to, to get there. It's like, say, getting someone into the Hall of Fame. It takes a lot to get there. Uh, I think if he wins the Miracle Mile, he, he's entitled to be described as a champion. Just before you go, to, I want to mention one thing. With Frankie Ferocious, of course, Jason Grimson's had him for two runs now. He took him to, to Melton. I think he won the Bonanza down there. 51-6, and six, and he won there at Menangle in, in 49-2. But let's not forget there's a great Queensland connection, an obvious one, because he's raced and bred by Bill Crosby. Uh, Bill's been around for a long time in Queensland harness racing. Uh, when I first met Bill, you know, back uh, in the 80s, uh, based out of Marburg, uh, highly astute as a breeder as well as an owner, and had a lot of success, but had a very good strike rate, and if Bill put his money on, they'd be hard to beat. Um, but one thing about Bill was it, it was really quality over quantity. If something wasn't measuring up, he, he'd move the horse on. But he always had a nice horse in the stable. And, of course, Frankie Ferocious is out of the mare more than meets the eye. And you'll remember that she was a more than capable mare back probably, well, probably getting close to a decade ago. So for Bill to have such a good horse and, and lining up on Saturday night... Um, in his advancing years, he wouldn't mind me saying that. I'm sure it is a great thrill for him. Oh, absolutely. And, and he's a he's a live chance as well. He's not in this race, the Chariots of Fire, making up numbers. So um, he, he's probably the unknown factor. He carries that X factor. He was a darn good horse here in Queensland. I think people are forgetting that. He won 10 of his 20 starts. He holds the record for a three-year-old at Albion Park, pacing a mile and 51. So he's always been top shelf. So... Now that they've transferred him down to Jason Grimson, uh, I think it just underlines the uh, the astuteness of Bill Crosby that he was looking big picture and thought this is probably the best way to go. And so far, so good. Two starts, two victories, lines up on Saturday night in the Group 1 Chariots of Fire, a race where Queensland's had okay success. We've had two previous winners, Lanacost being the most recent. Slip and Slide was our first winner trained here in the state so this will be a little bit different given that he's now under the care of Jason Grimson but there'll be a lot of support for him Queensland has two runners qualified for the Chariots of Fire on Saturday night 
Frankie Ferocious, obviously. Sure thing, captain forced his way into the field with a terrific run there on Ooh. Saturday night behind Better Be The Best. First up, he only trialled earlier in the week on Monday at Recliffe. Had to road down there, so he's gone a ripping race. So he's hoping he might get a little bit of luck with a barrier draw later today. And uh, unfortunately for real life, made a gate break at the start. So he's going to return back to Queensland. But uh, Queensland will certainly have a lot to uh, cheer on on Saturday night, whether it be Frankie Ferocious or Sure Thing Captain. Yeah, Sure Thing Captain ran out of his skin. In fact, he loomed around the turn almost as a winning chance. and He never yeah. lost any ground in the drive to the line. Did you catch Just Believes win at Melton? Yeah, I did. Uh, it, it was a great race. Um, probably didn't play out the way most expected. Uh, many were thinking, oh, because he's got barrier one, he'll lead. Uh, he was crossed quite comfortably, but Greg Sugars then had to sort of drive a patient race. He got into a bit of a jostling duel going down the back straight. And then the leader, I think he, he may have just choked off the uh, the former French trotter, uh, Call Me The Breeze, because he just found nothing at the top of the straight. And in the end, Just Believe was able to pin the ears back, charge hard down the straight and get the verdict. So he's got a fantastic will to win. Uh, he, he proved that here in the Queensland Inter-Dominion back in December. Uh, so he continues to be the flagship as far as trotting in Australia is concerned. I'm going to be very interested to see how he goes when he heads to uh, Cambridge for that uh, trot slot race over there because uh, he'll be taking on some high-quality opposition. The Kiwis in their own backyard, never easy to beat. So this will be a good test, but all he can do is win, and, and that's what he does, and he does it really regularly. So he's a terrific horse. Good on you, Chris. Talk soon. Thanks, David. But lots to talk about with Harness Racing this morning and, and understandably so. That Chariots of Fire will be a great race this weekend. The barrier draw being conducted today. I know Ben Scatter's waiting on the line there. He's a very patient man. I know him well. So I'm running behind time. That's a, not unusual for me. We'll take a short break and then back to have a chat with Ben because there's plenty to talk about with Adelaide Racing. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. If it's equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. They've got 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all the big names and they provide the very best inventory services. You can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au or there's a free call number, 1-800-060-896. 1-800-060-896. Garrard's Horse and Hound present Press Room each and every Monday. He's been patient. Ben Scannon, good morning. How are you? G'day, David. Happy to be patient when you're talking about harness racing and all those great races coming up. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's so great close to my heart, up. so it's all, all interesting stuff. Big week of the Scadden household this week. Big birthday Thursday. Oh, yeah, Thursday, February 29. We only get this opportunity once every four years. Yes, my young son, Tom, um, was born on February 29, so we get to have his proper birthday this year, which is a bit unusual. So is he, how old is he? Is he actually three or four this week? He's... Uh, we'll be four, um, but he's he's never actually celebrated a a birthday on on his date of birth, which was February twenty nine. So yeah, it's pretty pretty weird. Yeah, exactly. But uh, happy birthday, Tom, for for this Thursday coming up. Look, uh, it was a great result, wasn't it, for South Australian racing with Q Man winning the Oakley Plate. I chatted with Shane Oxlade yesterday on Pass the Post. This is just a really good story. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Like in Shane. Um, when I was working full-time in racing, Shane was certainly one of my, my favourite trainers. Always loved catching up with him. I can remember hanging over the uh, the rails at Strathalbyn and having a long chat with him one day. He's just a real soul of the earth kind of guy. I think he was a 
He's been boiler maker, I think, in Port Augusta about 20 years or so ago, and his dad was a butcher in Port Augusta, and he moved down here to to Adelaide, and I think he's been here 20 years or so, and only ever trains a you know, handful of horses. So I think he's probably got probably 14 or 15 and work, something like that, and had two Group 1 runners on Saturday, won the race with Cume, and the other horse was huge as well, Sharifa, I thought. He... Um, didn't have too much luck, he raced just as well as the stablemates. So for Shane and Cassie to deliver both those horses in absolutely peak condition on Saturday is an absolute um, credit to their to their training ability. Yeah, exactly right. Close to the home, in, in fact, in your, in your backyard at Morpherville on Saturday, we had black tie bracing. And there's a story with this horse, Yellow Brick Road, who won the Lord Reams. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, isn't he? So he's a, an Irish import, had some time with the Freedmans. Patrick Kearney bought him. Um, with, I think with some friends for about $8,000 online saw him there and he's done a really good job with him since and he's kind of onwards and upwards Patrick Kearney's only had his licence for a couple of years and, and this is obviously his, his biggest result winning the uh, the Lord Reams which is a uh, which is a group 3 race always the traditional lead up to our Adelaide Cup and the way the horse raced on Saturday no reason why he can't be really competitive in that race again and um, the runners up, I thought uh, the Mac and Hastel were both both very solid too. But um, yeah, take nothing away from Miller Great. He's been a been a great adverse advertisement for Patrick Kearney's uh, training ability. I don't know a huge amount about Patrick. He's obviously a Victorian, um, but done a done a really good job with this horse. A, a cheapie. He's now won a hundred and fifty thousand dollar race, so you can't complain about that. The Cinderella Stakes uh, was a, a, a rough result of sorts, but I saw Paul Gap was a winning rider and. I thought I must talk to you about this because I thought he'd retired. He did. He, he absolutely retired. I was uh, on the day they formed the jockeys at, at Borgerville formed the Guard of Honour and all that kind of stuff and said farewell, Gaddy, super popular jockey um, when he was based here in South Australia, but he decided he was going to move across. His brother-in-law is Clayton Douglas, so um, Gaddy and his wife Brooke made the decision to move across to to help Clayton out and. Gaddy was um, hanging up the saddle, but um, he got a chief feet, couldn't help himself, so he ended up, he's been back race riding for, for a reasonable while now, um, back in, predominantly in country Victoria, um, still helping out Clayton as far as I know, but um, yeah, he's, he was back here in Adelaide on Saturday and won the uh, the Cinderella Stakes on on Herestar for, for Dean Krongold. Would have been a popular win, but yeah, it's funny with him, he, uh, it's the end of 2022, so a bit over a year ago. Um, he said farewell, but um, he's a bit like John Farnham, likes the comebacks. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, horse one on Wednesday at Strathcore, Dunmer Glass. The jockey, Taylor Hutchinson, uh, has almost made an immediate impression on, on the Adelaide scene with her riding. Yeah, she sure, sure has. So, um, yeah, Taylor was an intake in the Apprentice Academy not that long ago, and uh, she's indentured to Michael Hickmott, um, she yeah she had two rides at Strap Alvin on Wednesday, um, and on her second ride, Dunmer Glass, she she won that race for Dan Clark and Uncle McGilvery. So she had a winner at just her second ride, and she she then made the trip to uh, to Lock on Sunday, which is in the far west of South Australia, and she uh, she won the Lock Cup on Shiny Rock for uh, for Garrett Lynch. So yeah, she's had a. She certainly had a pretty auspicious um, start to her uh, her riding career. She won the next race as well on Adelaide Stone for Garrett Lynch too. So she had a um, she had a double there, and yeah, it was um, pretty amazing for her. So yeah, um, 
yeah, great, great result for um, for Tyler winning the lock cup after winning her first race at Strathavon on the Wednesday. We've got to cast our mind back a few years, but you've got an interesting story regarding a horse called Master Eight. Yeah, I read I read this story about this horse and found it really interesting. I didn't didn't really remember him. He uh, he started off with uh, with Richard and Chantel Jolly here in South Australia. Had a trial, won the trial really impressively. Bang straight to Hong Kong, um, and you know that was pretty much the end of it as far as Richard and Chantel were concerned. They wouldn't wouldn't see the horse again. Um, yeah, kicked off in Hong Kong in, in really auspicious fashion. Actually won his first five races, won a grade three race over there as well, I think a grade three sprint. Um, but then kind of lost his way a little bit because he's, you know, competing in the very top grade the whole time. And, um, yeah, and he, he just kind of struggled a little bit. So they've, he's sound, he's a six-year-old, um, but got no injury concerns or anything like that. So David Price, Price Bloodstock, um, had a chat to Richard and Chantel and said, Hey, why don't we send him back and see how he how he enjoys life back in uh, back in South Australia? So he's back with them. Uh, he arrived in uh, in the middle of January, so he's been here around about a month, a little bit more, five or six weeks. Um, they're hoping that he will measure up to a race like the Goodwood. Time will tell. Um, it's going to depend what kind of races they can get into him before then, before the uh, car. Or maybe have one start before then. But uh, yeah, he's going to be a really interesting runner. Obviously got. Got stacks of ability, um, but yeah, it'd just be interesting to see after going through that, um, through those few few seasons of racing in Hong Kong, and just if that's taken anything out of him. But time will tell. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how he uh, how he measures up against their best sprinters. And just before you go, you've got some news regarding that horse Caravast, uh, who won during the Flemington Spring Carnival last year. Yeah, I think it's just really just a, a formality that, um, like, we knew that the horse returned a positive swab and, and stewards have now um, formally laid charges against Richard and Chantel Jolly. Horse had been a few design in its system, um, winning that Ottawa Stakes at Flemington over the uh, over the Cup Carnival. So, um, you know, they'll obviously be hearing at some stage before too long. Let's see where that one goes. It's hard to speculate on it. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Dan. There is Ben Scannon. Well, uh, it was quite big news um, in Tasmania, particularly in the harness racing world, that uh, Ben Yole and Tim Yole and Nathan and Mitch Ford were warned off by Taz Racing following the Ray Murray report. They appealed against that warning off, and the appeal was upheld. Uh, an extraordinary set of circumstances as Colin McNiff joins us. Colin, uh, I don't think many were expecting this one to happen. No, no. Uh, yeah, the uh, appeal being upheld has uh, certainly rocked the industry down here. Uh, denied natural justice, I think, was the, the reasoning for it. But perhaps that uh, warning off may have been a stretch too far. Perhaps they should have been stood down pending the outcome of the investigation. That may have been the way to go. But uh, look, we've had uh, the Office of Racing Integrity just sitting on their hands. They've done nothing right throughout this situation. Uh, we're in caretaker mode government-wise at the moment with an election coming up, mm. so the racing minister can't do much about it. And Taz Racing did stand stand up and uh, saw what powers they, they did have and if they could make some sort of finding, and they, they did issue the warning off. So um, Taz Racing has said they'll, uh, they'll just uh, um, think about what the, the decision that, that has been handed down. Actually, it was released last Friday afternoon, which I believe, at 4.59pm, so... Uh, one of those taking out the trash type uh, press releases so nobody could really get a hold of it late in the afternoon. But, yeah, look, um, 
we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, Taz Racing, all the heavy hitters from Taz Racing are in Launceston at the moment uh, with the yearling sales on this afternoon and the uh, the Launceston Cup on Wednesday. So whether they make any decision in the next day or two as to uh, what what other actions they can take. Uh, but, yeah, um, you fear for the, uh, the future of harness racing down here as it stands at, at the moment. Yeah, this follows only a month ago with Anthony Bullock, the leading greyhound trainer, mm. appealing against his um, lifetime ban, and it was upheld as well. So it's been quite a bizarre set of circumstances in in Tassie this year. Just seems just going back to that the, the Yolan Ford situation, and agree or disagree, but I felt or I thought there was going to be there was a panel of stewards put together who were mm. going to investigate uh, and adjudicate on, on Murrahi's assertions or comments made in his mm. report. Surely that should have been done first and then there could have been action taken at the higher level. Is, is that fair comment? Well, I, I think that's spot on, David. And that's what I'm saying. They should have been stood down pending that investigation with the seriousness of the charges. Uh, so on the racing front, the Oaks yesterday, and no real surprises here. No, Wings of Song. Uh, Patrick Payne's been campaigning this uh, filly down here. She's had four starts. And won all four of them, and uh, I was just adding up her prize money earlier. $285,000 she's won in those four starts here in Tasmania. The Tasmanian Guineas, the Thousand Guineas, the Strut Stakes and the Oaks yesterday. So she's had a lovely campaign down here for her connections, and uh, she's a promising staying filly. She's had 11 starts now for five wins, so uh, she could go on to be a very promising stay as a four-year-old next season. Yeah, It's hard to judge... uh these Tasmanian horses sometimes. Now, as Gigi's Mistruth is unbeaten, uh, how good do you think Gigi's Mistruth is? Well, I think she's uh, she's a bit special. Stuart Gandy, the trainer, has told us all along she is not a two-year-old. She's not a two-year-old. She's immature. She's got a lot of growing and a lot of learning to do. But she just keeps stepping up to the plate and winning and winning very impressively. So, as you say, four stars, four wins. Um as a three-year-old, who knows, uh, you know, the sky's the limit, perhaps. Uh, I know that uh, the Hayes team brought down Viola Versace uh, down here uh, for the Elwick Stakes, very confident that they could win, and they were they were soundly beaten by Gigi's Mistruth, and I think that's why we didn't have many interstate horses coming down for the Gold Sovereign yesterday, and she scared them off. She, she's something a bit special, for sure and certain. Does she go on, or is that the end of her campaign? Uh, undecided as yet. Uh, we're going to see how she pulls up, but I, I'd imagine that that might be it. Four starts, four wins. Uh, no more, uh, unless they wanted to keep her going for their size produce, but that that's fairly insignificant uh, type of race. Uh, she's, she's won all that she really can mm. as a two-year-old, so I think that they'll tip her out. And as, as Stuart says, she's not a two-year-old, so let her have some time in the paddock, keep growing, and uh, we might have something uh, very special down here. Launceston Cupfield has been finalised. Group three, three hundred thousand dollars, and Aurora Symphony is going to attempt the Hobart Launceston Cup double. Goes up the two kilos, but comes up with Saddlecloth One and Barrier Two. Yeah, and uh, I think the two kilos is fair enough, uh, considering the the emphatic style in which it won the Hobart Cup. It's trying to make it three Launceston Cups in a row, and as you say, the Hobart Launceston Cup double, and that carries a $100,000 bonus for a horse that can win the two major cups in the one season. Uh, look, he's about a $3.50 favourite. I was just speaking with Glenn Stevenson, actually, about a half an hour ago. Aurora Symphony has been staying at his property. He said, look, hasn't done a thing wrong in the couple of weeks since the Hobart Cup has trained on beautifully. So despite the uh, the impost, I think it's going to be awfully hard to beat tomorrow. Two starts in Launceston for two wins so far, and three starts in Tasmania for three wins overall. So seems to love the... Uh, 
the temperature, the climate and uh, the racing conditions down here. Look forward to your coverage on Wednesday. Colin, thanks. Cheers. Thanks, David. There is Colin McNiff rounding our press room for Monday, February 26. Hope you enjoyed the show. We covered plenty of territory, which we try to do every Monday. We'll be back again next Monday with another edition of Press Room. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye.